Blog Talk Radio. Okay, well, uh, this is Hari Kulso. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so glad. This is the Healthcare Whisperer Radio Show. I'm your host. Uh, this is an exciting day. I have a great, great, great um, guest, Mary Elizabeth Parker. Uh, I've been doing mostly my audio blogs. And so I haven't been having guests so much, but now I'm back to having guests because I'm I sort of through with a part about my mother's journey on my audio blogs. You know, it was what I had to do at the time. It really helped me. Uh, but now I'm back to my regular radio show, and it's really exciting for me uh, because today I'm starting off with this great guest, Mary Elizabeth Parker, who was around before. As you know, um, I'm a nurse practitioner and a patient advocate, and I am president of Healthcare Whisperer Inc. Uh, if you you, know, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Harikar108, you can also find me on Facebook at Hari Kulsa, and you can also find me on LinkedIn at Hari Kulsa. Uh, be sure to go to all those those places uh, if you want to send me a message today or at any time. You know, the reason I have this show, and, and I think some of you have listened will know this, is because I love to provide information, healthcare information, tips, and how to successfully navigate this wild and crazy healthcare system. You know, I always find the best way is to have people tell their stories, and that's why I absolutely love having people on so they can tell their stories. You know, everybody, all of us have a story about the healthcare system. Unfortunately, none of us are unscathed by it. Uh, so any, you know, I'm hoping that the stories that you hear and the people that I have on will help you and give you information. Uh, today's, you know, uh, show is called Dancing with Death. And it's about, you know, I, I love that title because when a loved one is dying, you are, you are doing this dance with death. And as a professional, I, in my work, you know, early on in my work uh, for about 15 to almost 20 years, I worked in HIV and AIDS at the early stages of the epidemic. And, and I, a lot of my clients died frequently. So I was, I, and at that time there was hospice, but it wasn't as prominent as it is now, or it isn't as available. The people who worked hospice were great, but But what I found was, you know, we were there, the people on the line, the healthcare professionals. So I got to have a lot of experiences with people who were dying, being at the bedside as people are dying. And as a professional, you begin to create ways of understanding, of understanding what the process is and what people are going through and loved ones. Although we never really know what people are going through, but at least we have an understanding that they're going through something. Uh, and, but what I found, and this is something with this dance of death, when it's personal, it's different. And that's something that that Mary Elizabeth and I are going to talk about today is that dance that you do with de- death as a professional and then when it's personal. And they're different. You know, even though you know you've had multiple experiences. And the best part about today's show is that most of my experiences have been with uh, adults, and Mary Elizabeth's experience is with. But before we get to that, and I know you're at the edge of your seat right now because this is a great, great show that we're going to have today. I just want to remind everybody 
that as for those of you on Medicare, that as of October 15th starts open enrollment and it goes, I think, oh gosh, I forgot to look that up. But for people who are not on Medicare Advantage, it goes to about the third week in December. I'll get that date and clarify it for you. Those on Medicare Advantage, it goes, <clears throat> I think, to February uh, February 1st. Um, if you want to change, <clears throat> excuse me, if you want to change your plan, please, now is the time. If you want to change and you don't know what to do and you're confused about what's available to you, one of the best places to go if you, if, for advice and support is a senior center. If your town has one, if not, call one in a nearby town and maybe there's somebody you can talk to or someone they can ask. You can also call Medicare.gov, um, although it, they're not, I guess they can't really help you decide, but they can at least clarify if you have questions. For those of you who are not on Medicare, uh, those of us who are 18, 18 to 65, um, open enrollment starts November 1st, and that goes through February 15th. Uh, again, it's a time that you can change your your plans. Now, here's the deal. Medic all costs, including Medicare costs, all plans, money, they're all going up. And I recently got a, a letter from my insurance company saying, we've been so happy that you've been with us. This is Regents Blue Cross in, in Seattle, Washington. We're so happy that you've been part of our system. We just wanted to let you know that the plan that you're on right now is not going to be available this coming year. However, we have picked a plan for you that we think is pretty close. It's only $100 more, and the deductible is $500 more. Okay, not. So what I'm going to do on November 1st is go and look around. And now for those of you who don't have, who have, uh, are not Medicare, you can go to either your state's healthcare, um, health finder uh, website, which has the plans listed, and uh, or you can go to the actual insurance websites and see what plans are available. They're usually the same. Sometimes they have more actually on their websites than listed. And or if some states you have to go to the federal website, which is healthcare.gov. And usually it'll direct you on your state's website to if the state has one or if you have to go to the federal one. But I would really look at it that my colleagues in Medicare and also the healthcare, my healthcare colleagues who are really into the cost and care aspect of, of the healthcare system say that it's really important that you look closely at what you're buying because there are a lot of hidden costs, particularly with prescription plans. So I have my, before we go on, my advice is to make sure you talk to somebody or if you have any questions, you can always call me, Healthcare Whisperer. You can email me at heal, H-E-A-L, at healthcarewhisperer.com or you can call me at 866-980-4325. And that reminds me, if you want to call in today and talk to any of us, myself or Mary Elizabeth Parker, you call 805-830-8363. And we really look forward to having you and your questions. So anyway, today, as I said, we're, we're going to be, I'm going to be talking to Mary Elizabeth Parker. Uh, and she, if you 
for those of you who have listened to my show before, know that she is a doctor of physical therapy, uh, an amazing, awesome, incredible, uh, I could go on and on, and it wouldn't even touch how great she is at what she does. She's a professor, maybe associate professor, you'll have to correct me, Mary Elizabeth, if I got it wrong, uh, Texas State University. Uh, she is also the medical liaison for a wonderful, wonderful organization, which I, lo- I love to support, called You Are Our Hope which deals with helping people, families, uh, and, and and all individuals with rare and undiagnosed illness, helping them find resources, help supporting them after they find the resources that they find an answer. And they've been on the cutting edge of helping and supporting and finding doctors who are doing the work. Um, they're also having this, every year they have a gala, and Mary, I'm going to have Mary Elizabeth talk about that one. It's December 5th in Austin, Texas, a great place to visit. And as I said before, much of her work is with pediatrics. Her physical therapy practice is mostly with um, pediatrics. She's committed and compassionate to helping families, um, giving of herself in ways that we all wish we could. So anyway, she's probably going to say, now, Hari, let's bring her on and see. Hi, Mary Elizabeth. How are you doing? Hi, Hari. I'm glad to be here, and uh, oh, I think good. this is going to be a great show. Oh, good, 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 good. So um, I was just, I hope, the, I don't know if you heard, but I hope, I, um, yeah, yeah, I, I was just, here. okay, good. I never know. You know, as I was saying, technology, my music didn't play at the beginning, and I'm like, okay, it's been playing at the end, but not at the beginning. Oy, what do I do now? <laughs> um, so um, I wanted you to talk before we get into everything, talk a little bit, a short period about your hope uh, and the gala that's coming up. Absolutely. Your hope is based in Austin, Texas, and we are a nonprofit that serves individuals and families with undiagnosed and rare disorders at any age and any stage, um, to reiterate what Hari said. And we have been in existence in this form for approximately eight years, and we have families and individuals all over the United States, Australia, um, uh, Europe, So, and we just had our first uh, contact from uh, someone in, in one of the uh, countries of the newer Slavic countries. So we are, we are growing rapidly and uh, we have some growing pains, but that, that, that's okay. Um, Every year we, for the last three years, this being our third, we have had an evening hope gala this year. um, We we outgrew our venue last year. Russell's Easter had been very awesome to us, but we outgrew. And so now we will be at the new Doubletree, um, in the Northwest Arboretum area of Austin, which is a beautiful area. And we are looking forward uh, to new and exciting things and getting more support because we really want to expand next year and be able to help more people. That, that's the hardest part of this job is that, you know, we get lots of requests and we want to help everybody. And when you have limited resources, as we do, we did not start out to make a lot of money. But what we have realized is that while our Education, research, and support is great. Lots of times people just need that funding to get to that visit or to make that copay for whole exome sequencing. And so we, we are really making a push at the scale to raise that money and be able to up our support of families. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, 
it's so great. It's so great that you were able to make make the leap from, you know, oh, we don't need to make money to, oh, gosh, <laughs> we really need to do this. Yeah. You know, it takes resources to pay for those tests. And, you know, that's the beauty of this organization is that they will go the length for you as a as a family or individual to get that testing and direct you and help you find resources, which is very difficult. And I just as an aside, this organization is very the people less I would say very human, very they're not going to let you down. You know, they you become part of their or their family. So I, I, I applaud that in your that you continue to do that even as you become successful. You haven't lost your mission, you know, and why you all started. So so that's yeah, great. And I think if, if we did, then we would just stand. If, if we lost that, um, you know, that small town touch that I think we do have and that everybody on the board and all of our volunteers is committed, no one is paid. And so if, if your heart isn't in it, then, you know, nobody's a part of it. So I think if we lost that heart, we would disband, which I hope never happens. Right, right. And it won't, knowing you. And everybody else from Vanessa and Kylie, everybody, everybody I've ever met is mm-hmm. like, whoa, can I, whoa, I want to be like you guys. <laughs> I keep yeah. thinking. Um, but one thing I forgot to mention, I, I just wanted to give my heartfelt sympathies and love at the, I know your mother passed this year and that's one of the reasons we're here together uh, but, you know, I just wanted to let everybody know and, you know, that you're still walking that journey of recovery as we as both of us are. And um, I just wanted to say that to you before we begin with, the, yeah. you know, with the rest of it. Well, thank you. And thank you for your support during the active journey of her death and, and then since. And I, I think I don't even know if ironic is the the right word that we would both lose our mothers so close together. Um because I think, you know, when you're in healthcare, you know, we see things a little bit differently. And your perspective was all was very valuable to me. Uh, you know, I had great friend support, great family support, but my healthcare provider friends that I could talk about the nitty gritty with, you know, got me through. Because sometimes I needed to talk about, you know, you know, the devils in the details. And sometimes people would not understand, you know, talking about the medications and those kind of things. So um, you were very valuable. As with my friend Jim, who is an ER and ICU nurse, to, to be able just to kind of talk about the stuff that's sometimes unpleasant, and uh, and you know, I also send my sympathy to you for the loss of your mother. Well, thank you, thank you, and you know, just to let people know, those words sound so pat, but they mean so much when you hear them from people. You know, yes. so I just that's something mm-hmm. you know we've learned. You you and I, I always wonder when I say to people. Oh, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, my heart, you know, I feel, you know, I hope my sympathies and you wonder if people are going, oh, not another one, <laughs> you know, but it isn't that way, really. It really touched me every every time someone says it, it touches me deeply. So yeah. I just want to tell people Absolutely. that. Um, so anyway, <laughs> let's start by, um, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, your work? I know that in your work, given that you're working with in your PT work as well as with your uh, you are hope work, but you work directly with people who sometimes have such rare illnesses or still are undiagnosed, and their journey you know they don't they the, their journey is to death. Let's put it that way. I'm going to be mm-hmm. say it that way. So why don't you talk? Can you talk a bit about? And I know you've told me stories 
Well, what is, you know, what, what's been your experience in this area? I mean, dealing with pediatrics is hard enough when you see a child suffering, but in, you know, how, how is that for you? What is it like with some, you know, kids who you know are going to pass away on your watch? Gosh, well, that, that's a very long story, but, I, you know, I'll take a couple of them. I'll give the, the short versions of them. But um, when I lost my first patient, I was a very young therapist, and the social situation was very tenuous, and we were not quite sure. This was before the vast array. I mean, this was 18 years ago, before the vast array of genetic tests could be run. And so they were guessing maybe it was drug exposure or maybe it was alcohol exposure. Nobody really knew. But this was a very, very sick infant and a very – tenuous family situation. And I remember when he passed, he was my first patient to to pass away, and I had great support from the medical social worker where I worked, um, and and everybody knew this was my first loss. And I I got really wrapped. I had great support from my colleagues because I was very angry, and I didn't know what to do with that anger. And um, I was angry at the doctors. I was angry at the parents. I was angry at Child Protective Services. I was angry at everybody. And I really had to work through that. And and one of the things as I was thinking before we talked, I took that anger and I said, okay, I'm angry. What am I going to do about it? And I started to read and read a lot of books to kind of help me be a better healer and help me not to become angry when these things happen. And so I read a book called Final Gifts, which is directly related for healthcare providers. Um, One of the nurses I worked with gave that to me, yeah. Um, I read a lot of Bernie Siegel's books, Love, Medicine, Miracles, I think, um, has a series of them. And that really helped me. I was like, you know, that's not going to be my last patient to die. And if I want to stay in this, then I need to get a grip. And so that, like I said, was about 18 years ago. And then I had other patients die, and I'm not saying any of it was easier, but that first one, you have to learn how to deal with it or it'll rip you apart. And Mm -hmm. so I got better about dealing with the journey. And then my career changed a little bit, moved to Connecticut, um, had a loss there um, of a child that was pretty devastating because the family, up until the night before he died, kept saying, well, he must just have the flu. And I had to be the one to say, this is not the flu. And, you know, because the mom would listen to me. We had been on this journey together, and that that was hard. But the one that I I talk about a lot and, and I've spoken on your show before was Um, a little boy uh, 10 years ago who was getting sicker and sicker and and we knew this was potentially going to take his life. And at the time they were doing one test, waiting six to eight weeks for results to come back. And this went on and on and on. And he passed away um, at 11 months. And two days later, the diagnosis was found. And I, again, those, those feelings of anger burst up. And this time I was angry really at myself. Like, why didn't I do more research? Why didn't I try to help, you know, we could have, we right. could have found this. And it, and it was treatable um, if, if it's detected early on. So he was, he was the catalyst for you are hope for me. But um, I definitely along the way have become better at dealing with it now. Every loss is different, and every every child that I've been with, um, um, you know, during that that kind of crossing over um, part of it, you know, it, they're they're very special. And I would people say you, you want to be there during that, and there is there is no greater gift you can give a family if you're going to love this child in life. Loving them in death means so much, and 
many of the families have come back to me and said, you know, thank you for not running away. And right. and that means that means everything to me. Um, but it's also, as a healthcare provider, and I guess this would kind of segue what we want to talk about, you see things differently. And, you know, I know when we're getting in trouble, and I know when we need to ask for help, and I know when when we need to call the hospice nurse. And, and I just know that from being a medical professional and knowing, you know, when breathing rates change and, you know, pulse ox looks bad and, you know, we start, you know, to get our fingernails get blue. And, and again, I know those signs. So I, I come from a different perspective, but I don't, I don't panic, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, this is part of it. It's an organic process and we're going to go through it. But, but I think that is valuable to families. Um, but at the counter sign of that, Hari, it was very difficult for me with my mom because I knew what was going on. So it, it does. It, right. it definitely, there's a definite difference. You're, you're glad to know, but then sometimes you wish you didn't. Oh yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. You 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 hope that uh what you know is not true anymore. <laughs> I think Correct. that's part but, of yeah, what you miracles can happen, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So but one thing back you know, with your families, I, I think that as a medical professional it, it they there there's a trust that you've developed with the families prior to the you know the, the last days of a, someone's life, and I think that's very helpful. Uh, I mean, does that I guess my question is that allows you to help them with the medical side because you can say now is the time too, right? If right, because right, you, right, and, and, mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, no, go ahead. And I had, yeah, um, I, one other, and I and I, I don't think I've ever spoken about him. I won't use names, of course, but um, right when my mother was very ill. Five years ago, um, I'd been home. <clears throat> We'd been down, back down to Duke. You know, she had been in ICU out. She was stable. I came home. And I am on my connecting flight. I'm in the airport, and I get a call from the mom. I knew this little boy, you know, we would lose him. I just didn't know when it was going to be. And she calls me, and she goes, I think you're out of town, but when you get home, can you come by? I, I just, I'm, you know, hospice has been here. I'm not comfortable. You know, she didn't have that relationship with them she had with me. So right. I said, sure, as soon as I land, I'll come right right to the house. So I got in about midnight, and um, she calls me, and she goes, listen, he's, he's better. Don't come over now. Get some sleep. Come over in the morning. I said, okay. About, and of course, you get home, you get in the bed, 2 a.m., the phone rings. And, again, she's like, this is not good. Can you come? And I said, sure. I said, do you want me to come ho- call hospice to meet me, uh, meet us? And she said no. And I said, okay. And mm. so I went over, and, you know, he was, he was, he was in the active Stages, you know, he had the chain stokes breathing. Um, they had him on oxygen. They had him on all the, the 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 palliative meds to keep him comfortable. But mom just wanted somebody there, and you know, so she laid down on one side, and I laid down on the other, and I kept taking his pulses. And then when we got close, I said, you know, this is a family time. I'll be out in the living room, and you call me if you need me. But this is a family time. And right. you know, he passed 30 minutes later, and right. it right. was um, it, it was peaceful, and it was. And, I, and I, when I say beautiful, I want to say this child. This child had had suffered quite a bit, and so right. from 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 the respiratory distress, I had seen him in so many times, and we had had to do ER runs. This was totally totally different. Hold on, I'm gonna hold on. I'm just gonna keep going and ignore that. Um, at at any rate, so it that was was peaceful, and then you know. 
when when the family was ready, um, they asked me to call hospice, and and unfortunately, I knew that nurse when you do this long enough. And so she came over, and we did all the medication disposal and 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 those kind of things. And it it went as best as those situations can go, if that makes sense. I mean, oh, it was, yeah, it was yeah, peaceful yeah. and a peaceful and loving. And there weren't 20,000 people in the house. And that's what this family said. They said, I don't want a team of people I don't know here. You know, that's right. just too much to handle. And so, you know, then the day nurse came, and we were able to prepare his body to go to his new home. And, but we did it. You know, there, was no, there weren't strangers. And I think that in the end, that was what that family wanted. They didn't want somebody else touching their child. And, and, um, and not everybody's that way. But, but a lot of families have said, no, I don't want strangers coming in. Right, and I think um, one thing that, you know, through our work with um, the the death and dying, uh, Mm -hmm. we find that there's a process that occurs with that when you talk about people, you know, uh, not being there, that sometimes the person who's dying waits for people to leave the room or we yes. there there's something that goes on and I always I, and this has been something I've talked about in my audio blogs is that that there's a process going on that we don't know about because we have no point of reference for what's going on in whether it's a child's brain or an adult's brain about the process of death. All we can do is be bystanders and create this environment that allows for what to happen with that the child you were talking about happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and that right. that that's where our professionalism we've been able to when in that situation you were able to be very you know, create the safety net that the person needed. And that's what we do as health professionals. Isn't that sort of what, by creating the right form, you know, we get the right forms for the family. So they, they have right. protection that way. We, we know when to call the right people. We can tell them what's going on. I mean, that's sort of what we are. We're their safety net when we have that relationship. And it sounds like that's what it was for you at that particular situation. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, you know, I had been with this child, I guess, for four years at that point. The mom and I had become friends. You know, we, we lived close by. And, yeah, you know, pretty much any time that she, he got in distress, I could get over there. And the palliative care doctor lived nearby, so she would join us. You know, I, I was like, you know, we got to stop having this party. Um, but, you know. <laughs> You know, and let like me tell you, Mary Elizabeth likes to party. Mary Elizabeth likes yeah, to party. Yeah, but this is <laughs> not the kind of party I like. So, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it gets kind of scary. Like I said, when you start to know the hospice nurses, you know you know the teams that run the 911 calls. That got, they, I think they know my phone number. Um, but at any rate, but, but it, it's like, okay, I've done this before. I can do this one more time, you know. Right. And, and you feel, um, again, that journey we were not going to change what happened to him. He had metachromatic leukodystrophy. His, the white matter in his brain had gone. You know, I, mm-hmm. I can't change that. I can only change the end. I can't tell you what he felt, like you said. I can't tell you right. what was going on in his brain. But I can tell you, having seen him in active respiratory distress, this looked totally different. And, you know, I remember saying to the palliative care doctor one day, she's like, he's going to code on us. And I said, we'll kill him doing CPR. Let's do something else. Let's do something else. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were able 
to get him stable because the family very much wanted him to pass it home. Now, some families don't want that. I mean, that, that, that's another right. choice. Some people want that, and some people want you to be, you know, in a hospice facility or in a, in a hospital, and everybody has their own, you know, radar for that, and that, that's cultural and religious and, you know. Um, but, again, that journey, I'm not saying it wasn't difficult, but I'm saying it, it, was, it, it taught me a lot. And, you know, I, I said to the family, you know, afterwards, thank you so much for letting me go, you know, on that journey with you because it, it was helpful in my mourning of him as well um, to be there. So, so that's, right, that, right. that's that story. <laughs> and, I, right, and I think that part of what, you know, as healthcare professionals, um, each, each dying process, each dying moment with a patient is different. Yes. But there's a part of us that, um, as professionals, allows us not to be overwhelmed emotionally. You know, we may have our moments Correct. where we're sad, for sure. But we, yes. as and it, we, that's the part as professionals. And and we, it's not that we're not loving at the moment. We are. You know, it's not that we're we, mm-hmm. we're not completely engrossed or you know a part of what's happening, and we're not giving our all. But it uh, we allow ourselves to have the experience and to step away. I mean, sometimes we're a little more affected. Right. I when I worked HIV, I I couldn't go to most uh, memorials. Well, back at the beginning, we were mm-hmm. there were so many. I just could. That was something right. I couldn't do. I could I could be at the bedside. I could be with the family at the passing or before. I could do all of that. I could participate, but I had to draw my line in order to keep going and help the next person that came. It wasn't that I didn't call the family or go over after. So for me, that's how I managed. Although now I find that that's changed a bit now with my clients, uh, because maybe I've matured or I've gotten more used to the whole process, not used to it. You never get used to it, but it becomes familiar. There's a familiarity to death. That 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 I as a professional have come to see and understand, um, you know, and I will go to memorials now. Not all, not all. I, mm-hmm. I pick and choose. Right. But I think our best work is done at the time, you know, and we and and sharing what we have. Right, and I, I think mean, that's a valuable point that everybody has to set their boundaries. And you know, I've had people because I have boundaries similar to those around not just death of my patients or your hope clients or people I know, but I've had people come up and, you know, say, well, why didn't you go to this or why didn't you go to that or I didn't see you at this or I didn't see you at that. And I said I was there, but I didn't want to be seen. It was like I could handle so much, you know, like I could go into the memorial and little movie, but I couldn't go to reception afterwards because I didn't want to socialize right. around it. Um, right. And, and so, yeah, I think, and everybody has realized that if you are there for the journey, sometimes then your journey needs to stop for a little bit and you back off. And then you go and, and you do what you need to do to process it. Um, and I used to get guilted into things. Like people would say, well, I can't believe you're not going to X, Y, and Z. And I used to take that really seriously. And then I went, you know what? They're not grieving the same way I am. Everybody grieves differently and they need to let me do it my way. And so, right. you know, and, and and like you said, you had when when you were losing. I'm sure in the HIV population, you might have lost more than one patient a week, correct? Right, right. In some yeah. cases, yeah, yeah. Yes. Then how could you possibly manage that and, and then go on to take care of your other patients when you're, you know, 
being kind of distracted by the grief process. So I, I think that's a really good point, and I hope that if there are other providers out there listening, you know, set your boundaries, and that's okay, and don't let anybody else tell you how you need to grieve or what you need to do. Right, and I think that's that's the word that we, you know, uh, the word that we say quickly, grief. Okay, are you grieving? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, grief is yeah. this yeah. sort of like huge ocean, you know, endless, almost you yeah. can't see the horizon in it. And you have to, and sometimes it's really wavy and, you know, you don't know if your little dingy boat or sailboat is going to make it over the right. next wave. And sometimes it's really calm. But, you know, it's it's different for everyone. And it's, it's not that as a health care professional, you don't feel grief for some, but I think, you know, it's not as profound when there's sort of a cellular, emotional, personal loss. You know, the, the right. waves are a little bit bigger. At that time, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, you know. So, but I think I and and I don't mean you know I think when I talk about boundaries, I think people think oh well you know the the line you know they're not being you know compassionate. Well, I think my compassion is so great that I have to create that boundary so that it can be so I can be there for the next person who is always there. You know, it, 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 it right. as my friend says, none of us get away from dying. You know, it's one of those things yeah. that happens to all of us, no matter how we look at it, you know. So, right. uh, and I think that's something that you, you and I, you know, our compassion allows us and our commitment to helping, well, your commitment certainly to helping families during this process and we have to be there. We have to be that safety net. We have to give them that hope that they'll be allowed to do what they want at that time. Right. Is that, I mean, is that Absolutely. something? Yeah. 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 I'm being a little yeah, bit, you know, like, I'm going each, off of, each of the families here. that I've had to deal with had, had different ways they wanted, you know, some wanted to keep the, the, the child's room the way it was. Some wanted to get rid of everything immediately. Some, and, and, and whether I, whether I was comfortable with that or not, that, that's something I had to help them with. I remember one mom calling, you have got to get this stuff out of the house today. I'm about to lose my mind. And okay, mm. I just went, loaded up the car and went and donated it. But, but that was her way, and I didn't judge. I didn't say anything. I just did what she asked. And, right. and then I have other families that, you know, five, six years down, you can walk into the nursery and nothing looks changed. And that's their way of grieving, too. And I, and I don't think you can say what's right and what's wrong. I just think it's your own personal journey. Um, you know, I know as we're going through mom's stuff, there, there are certain things I wait for my dad's cues about when things, he wants things to get moved. And I wait till his cue because he has to live there. I don't live in their home. And so I think, again, that's, you know, a very personal and you, you you do it your way, and nobody can tell you how to do it. Right, right. And, mm-hmm. you know, one thing, you know, this is a great segue into our personal losses, because one thing, um, mm-hmm. since my mother passed away in July, and people, I find that people actually wanted uh, friends, and even just, uh, I remember my landlord was over one day, and he asked me how I was doing. I said, okay, you know um working through it and um he wanted to talk about his being with his father when he passed away and and it made me realize that 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 so many people we 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 want to talk about it 
you know, and, um, and I think we don't, there's this idea that, oh, no, buck up, you know, get through it. Right. And and I'm sure there's a lot of people saying, okay, Hari, shut up, you know, no, that's not true. But really, you know, talking about, I remember he really wanted to tell me exactly what happened while he was there when his Mm -hmm. father died, he died home. And so I think for you, you and I, this experience was almost like such, so crystal. That's something I, I, the, the, you, I remember when your mother was, was actively dying and what you were going through is, and yeah. our experiences were completely different. You know, you were in a hospital, mm-hmm. I was in assisted living, like in my mother's home, but why don't you tell, you know, mm-hmm. for you, there's always something left though. I mean, why don't you talk a little bit about that process for you and how it was different than than just being well, sure, in your sure. Yeah, yeah, and I'll give some background to the audience because I'm sure they don't. They obviously didn't know my mother. So my mother had had a series of autoimmune disorders for a long time, but like 14 years prior to her death in this past January. And uh, through these, she had become a bilateral amputee, um, and she had gone septic on us twice, and that's how we ended up at the amputations. We we had great care, but we 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 couldn't save either of our legs. And so the first round of grief for me, and I've been able to actually had a physical therapist friend who I was able to talk about this with, I had this weird thing that they had cut off my mom's legs and I didn't know where they were. And that seems ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting with her at dinner and going, this really bothers me because when we bury her, those parts aren't going to be there and blah, 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 blah. And I wasn't able to talk to my mom about that. You can't go, well, mom, where did they take your leg? You know, you just can't do that. And so, and by the way, the amputations were at two different times. She went septic twice on us and almost lost her twice before. So, but I, I hooked on to this weird, I don't know, it wasn't a fear. It was just this thing that I wanted all my mom buried together. And I, you know, uh-huh. who, who knows where these thoughts come from. Later on, after I'd had this conversation with my friend who was so supportive, although I made her cry, which was not what I had intended to do in the conversation, um, my mom said, oh, I just want you to know I donated my residual limbs for uh for research, they were actually going to use that tissue to do something valuable. So after that, I felt a little bit better. But again, that's one of those work things that I think maybe only a healthcare provider might have kind of gotten, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. But no, so, no, I think um, I think that's like yeah. wonderful to tell that story because it's yeah. we have those thoughts, you know, um, and right. and great, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. And you just can't you just can't talk to anybody about that. Like another PT, I could talk. That about, you know, because we have amputated patients all the time. But you can't go up to my girlfriend and go over lunch. And by the way, I wonder where they put my mom's legs. I mean, that's just not a lunchtime conversation. <laughs> and, 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 and pass the butter, way, please. Um, Could you pass the butter? Where's my, <laughs> I just wonder where my mother's legs were. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, see I can laugh about it now. But so mom, um, mom was going downhill since the last amputation. Um, I'm pretty sure she had had some little TIAs or maybe a CBA, um, but she had become she had become very dependent on my father for care. Um, she did not want to live outside the home. He was her 24-hour a day caregiver. They had some help in the house, but not really caregiving for her. It was mostly like picking up the slack with the house so he could take care of her. And cognitively had changed quite a bit. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm so sorry, you know, you really lost your mom. I said, I lost my mom, my mom the mom that I did stuff with years ago. I lost her physical body in January. So um, so she just kept going down. And right before I came home for Christmas, we have a really great support system in my hometown. My parents are from Richmond, Virginia. 
And I was getting calls like, you're going to come home and things aren't good here. And I said, okay. My sister said the same thing. My dad said the same thing. I went. So I was prepared. But when I got home, my mom was in awful shape. So this was Christmas of 14. And if, if I had had my wish, we would have put her in the hospital right away. But my mom at that point was caught with it enough and was fighting. You know, like, no, I'm not yeah. going to the doctor. I am not in the hospital. And my dad is like, don't upset her. Don't I'm like, okay. So, you know, two or three nights into it, she became delusional. Right. Um, and we were up all night, and uh, she wasn't eating, and she was getting not she was nauseous all the time. And by Christmas Eve morning, Dad, well, we've been up all night with her, but he goes, can you come get her out of bed because my dad can't lift her. And I, I could lift her up until that time, but she was so out of her head that she was fighting me. And I said, oh. Dad, if I throw out my back and – you're, we're done. I mean, like, I, I you know, so if, if you are adamant that she stays here, then we need to call 911, at least get her checked out at the hospital, because I, you know, again, it's crazy. When you, people get out of their mind, she, she wasn't fighting me personally. She was just fighting. Um, so even at that so moment, her, you yeah. were able to be that medical professional. You were still, you know, that you were still able to... Yeah. To do that, but you you were beginning, you know, yeah, the the you were getting frayed. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I knew I couldn't take care of her anymore, and I knew we shouldn't be, yeah. and I knew she needed to yeah. be in the hospital. But it was that last straw I had to say to my father, I can't do this. And once I said that to him, he was like, Oh, okay. And I said, Even if I put her in the chair, she's going to fall out. So it doesn't, you know, it her wheelchair. So I said, right. This is not going to work. And right. so I said, I'm going to call. And, and, and again, my my dad's a sweet old, just great guy, and he's he's totally with it. And he said, Oh, I said, I'm going to call 911. You start getting your stuff together. We're going. And he said, Well, I want you to call this particular rescue squad. I said, Dad, it doesn't work that way. But you know, <laughs> and tried to call primary care. Of course, they're on vacation because it's you know it was just a cascade of whatever. So we finally call. Um, they come. You know, they get there. And I'm like, okay, and I'm I'm in the bed doing the sheet transfer with them, and they kind of look at me. I'm like, here's her bag of meds, and here's her insurance cards, and and let's do it this way. And they're like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, don't worry about yeah. me. Let's get her lifting, you know, yeah. And yeah. so once we did the transfer, they're like, you must be a physical therapist. And I'm like, yeah, I am, but come on. We'll, we'll talk about what I do later. Go. And so, so at that point, that just, you know, and I, you go, but, Harry, I don't know for you, but for me, I just went into – got to take care of it mode. I wasn't, I wasn't emotional. I was just like, right. my mom, right. is, my mom is very, very sick. This is going, this is very, very bad. And so right. we, you know, you know, let's go. So dad rode with her. Um, I cleaned up because she'd been getting sick and stuff. So I cleaned up the house because I didn't want him to come home to that. And then I met them. By the time I got to the ER, they were in full. I mean, we had a great ER team. <clears throat> she was hypernatremic to the audience. That means sodium levels were low. Um, her register was 100, and that is the lowest they had ever seen. Um, uh, and so, Ahari, you can speak to that as a nurse. That's really low. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Her blood, her blood pressure was in the toilet, so they had to flip her. Like, so the bed was flipped, so her head was down, and her residual limbs were up. They had to do a cut down to put in a central line. As soon as they did that, she got a pneumothorax. I mean, it was that cascade of everything was going in the toilet. Really quickly. So, right. So yeah. at that 
really for the lay person listening to this, the body was beginning to shut down. I mean, yeah. really, there yeah. was so many things that had to happen to keep her functioning, you know, to keep her body yeah. working, that it was hard to keep up with it. Is it what, what you're explaining right. medically right now? And in your mind, it was like almost a comfort, I can imagine, for you. Because I remember talking to you at the ER, I think. Right. And right. You, were medic- you were able to just sort of push out everything and be medical, you know, to be right. that, you know, that medical person. But, I, you know, that... One thing that I have found is that that can't last forever. And I think that no. began to happen to you there, if I recall, that you began to yes. think this is way yeah. too much. Right. And thank you for taking my call that day. Um, yeah, because that's not how we wanted to spend <laughs> Christmas Eve. Um, so, yeah, so, but, but I, I want to say this. She did rally, and they were able to get her stable. Right. And, I, and I remember going – Okay, good. We're out of the woods. You know, we're in the ICU, but we're out of the woods, and she's talking to us. And, and, and again, cognitively, she was a little loopy. Like, I was telling us stuff like, oh, the doctor came in and said I can go home today. And I'm like, it, I, I just don't think that happened. <laughs> so, right. so and, and my friend, and, and there's a term for it. And I, my friend Jim, who's the nurse, he goes that there is this time between these death experiences where you do rally, and there's like a term yes. for it, but I don't know. What? How about how about rally before death? <laughs> rally before death, yeah. But he had another. I don't remember what it was. I don't know um, what it is. But either. at any rate, she did. She did rally, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go home for a few days, take care of my patients, and then I'll come back and we'll put her in rehab. Because I said, Dad, you're not taking her home until she can transfer again. That that's my line. That that that's it. And he agreed with me that he couldn't do it. Right. So, right. Right before I left, we had to put her on BiPAP, which for people, it, it's just—it's not a ventilator, but it, it helps. It, it pushes air in so that the person doesn't have to breathe as hard. Right. And so I was a little bit worried about that, but I was like, her body's been through a lot. You know, maybe, maybe that's just what we need for now. Uh, I was home maybe two days, and they had the ventilator. And she did have the medical um, uh, guidelines of what she wanted. And so once they did that, I went, I better get back. Um, and I did, and the long and short of it is <clears throat> I walked into the ICU, and I literally, I, I literally did a U-turn. I walked in, I saw the condition of her body, and she was already gone physically. Like you said, her organs had shut down, and they were, medication was keeping her alive in the ventilator. So I really did a U-turn. I walked out. I said, where is the palliative care team? They happened to be sitting there because they knew I was coming. And I and oh, I, and, and that was when I lost it. That was when I lost it. I just said we're mm-hmm. done, and that's all I could get out. I said we're done, and I did yeah. the sign. <laughs> I did my children. We're all done, and and they went, oh my gosh. And so you know they were very good. I said call the team. Let's do this. You know, and and my dad, he he wanted me to make the decision. I don't know if he could verbalize that, but I think he wanted me to make the decision. Right. And right, right. so we go into the meeting, and I say this is irreversible, correct? And I said that not because I didn't, not, I knew, but I wanted my dad to hear that. And right. they said, yes, there is no, there is no coming back from this. Crystal clear, none, zip, zero. And then I looked at my father and I said, then we need to invoke what she wanted. And he said, I'm fine with that. And so we signed the papers and, and it, again, this is an interesting point where you didn't want to know a lot. She was on propofol, which everybody knows is the Michael Jackson drug. To keep right. her calm on the ventilator, right? And they wanted to put on Dilaudid and Robinol for her. And I went, "Why are we putting on all this other stuff? If you just take her off the blood pressure medicine, she's going to go." I mean, why are we? 
it, that was the point where I'm like, stop putting this mess in my mother's body. That, again, was a very emotional thing for me. Like, stop right, right, that, know, I, I don't want all this stuff. That's know? where knowing, like, the difference, that's where being a medical professional and then the family member is often mm-hmm. so painful because, but helpful yes. because I've been with clients and they're doing just that, adding this. And I say to the family, this isn't helping them, you know, where you right. were like, you were like in a rage almost, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, stop, you guys are, what are you doing? You're just playing with my mother. I mean, there was that rage right. as a, a personal rage, you know, medically, yeah. if it had been a client, you would have been like, maybe we should think about stopping this. This was personal rage. Stop abusing my mother. Right. You know? Right, right. Stop putting that stuff in our body. And yeah. finally, and, and, and I, we had a more experienced nurse man. And, and again, the healthy care doc, everybody was great, so I'm not criticizing. No, no, no. But I guess when they knew it was going to be into life, they sent the older, more experienced nurse in, and she looked at me and she goes, You know, when I sold the Neo, which is the blood pressure, she goes, Is she going to go quickly? And I said, Yes. And I would prefer you do that before we shove all this other stuff. I mean, the Dilaudid's going to take, I mean, not the Dilaudid, the Propofol, she was gone. I mean, that shuts you down like nobody's business. So I didn't understand why we needed all this. And she kept saying, well, we just don't want you to hear any bad sounds. And I'm like, bad sounds? She's already pretty much gone. I'm not going to hear any bad sounds, you know. And But I didn't make them turn off the monitor because I didn't want my dad and my sister to watch that. Oh, my sister was there mm-hmm. by that time, my brother-in-law. Um, we chose not to bring my nephews, and I think that was best. Um, I, I don't think they needed to see that. And and so at any rate, so it was very quick. Once they pulled the Neo, she was gone in two minutes. And because, you know, they had monitors out at the station, so they were watching the monitors and came in and then they declared her. And, you know, it was really interesting. I kind of wanted to stay a little while, but my dad wanted out. It was it was a very interesting, like, mm-hmm. it's gone, let's go, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I was in, it, it's that protection of the body, like, don't mess with her. <laughs> Yeah. Right, um, right, right, right. And they, right. they ask if you want an autopsy before they do anything. I said, I, I don't know. I, I'm not even sure if I said it nicely, but I said no. And Yeah, I know why she point, died. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know why she died. So, and I don't want her cut up. I don't want anything else done. You know, let's, let's go. So it was, it was, I would not wish that, had, having seen, again, other people pass, I would not wish that on someone. And, you know, part of the grief process, Hari, for me has been guilt. Like, should I have gone back a few days earlier so we didn't get that bad? Or or did my father need that time and wait for me to come back to make right. help him make that decision? You know, right. and I'll never know the answer to those questions, but those are the things I process. Should I have not left? You know? Right. But I do think, because in my mom's lucid moment, in those few days where she was with it, she looked directly at me and she goes, you must be miserable. And she said that was her most lucid thing she said to me because she knew I knew, you know, right. and I think she knew she was dying. And I just said, no, mom, I'm not miserable. I am very sad. And that's all I said to her, you know. Right, right. Well, that's I not think all I said to her that day, but, yeah, that's how I responded to it. I think there's, you know, you're, it's part of grief is to think could I have impacted this journey differently? You know, yeah. could I have been the one? But, you know, when you think about it, what what would have really been different? The end result would have been, the. and, and this sounds, I'm not trying to sound, mm-hmm. what's the word? You know, flip it, flippant, as my father yeah, used yeah. to call me as a teenager. Um, 
you know, I think that the process, in order for you to do what you had to do, you had to go home. And, uh, you know, I think that mm-hmm. we all have – that's the part of the dying is that we all – it's very rare when you walk away from a loved one. You know, and in our situations, we knew that people were dying. Our loved one was dying. For those with traumatic death, I mean, it must be even harder to think, well, I should have done, could I have done this? You know, but that's what we are left with is the, the, this, these, these feelings, you know, especially when it's personal. I mean, sometimes professionally, I have, could I have done that? But I don't, you know, I don't really feel that way much. Um, I just think I look at that more, you know, neutrally and would it have been a different outcome? The outcome would not have changed. Maybe the day would have changed. And I understand that, you know, would it been better? But I don't think you, you know, she might, I don't think you could have done it. And and hearing the story, it would have taken you days to make that decision, you know, and it might have been the same day, you know? Yeah. And so it was interesting. For my family, that the day she died on uh, January 5th, but January 4th was her best friend's birthday who had died of pancreatic cancer August prior, and January 6th is my nephew's birthday. And so it was, I think it was important for our family not to have her die on the 4th or the 6th. And mm-hmm. um, I, and at that point on the 5th, I would have never prolonged her life. Because it was interesting, they said to me, well, we're going to start all these drugs and start the process, but she may not go for days. And I looked at them like they were crazy. I didn't say anything like, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> right. But, and, I, you know, as, as we yeah. start to get you know, towards the end of our hour here, one one of the oh things that, yeah. Yeah, that, that jumps out at me is that in this personal loss, it affects, you know, it affects um, you even though you were able to really help your mother through the medical side in your family, which I was able to do, but mm-hmm. the loss, the, the cellular sense at the end, you know, just slammed you in the face is, or, you know, just overwhelmed yeah. you. And I know this sounds really simple to people who may be listening, but it's not, it's such a difference. It's something that as professionals, sometimes it takes us, I think it took sort of took me by surprise, the depth, of uh, mm-hmm. experiencing my mother's, being with my mother. My mother's death was different. We were with her over the process of the week before when she was dying and in her room and as she went into you know, a coma and we held her hand and it was quiet and it was just me and my husband and the, you know, with a support team outside. You know, it was very intimate. It was different than, we didn't have machines, yeah. but that's what my mother wanted. But the loss, right. the same moment, you know, was, you know, and I had to steal myself from thinking what, you know, was there something else I could do? But I knew, and you know, your mother didn't, mm-hmm. my mother didn't want anything. She <clears throat> talked openly about, I want to die. Don't stop me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that had been years of conversation about what she wanted as in her final days. So I was lucky that way. And you did at the last moment, it, your mother was very clear. I think it made it um, easier in that I didn't, I didn't feel like I didn't do something for my mother necessarily. Yes. You know, I think in that way for me, it was easier, you know, but it wasn't okay. easier. The loss wasn't easier. That, that right, doesn't right. change for any of us. And yeah. um, 
I, I think it's made me, and you can speak to this too, uh, it's really opened me in ways I didn't expect to understand the process for the people whose loved one is dying. I think it's given me a great gift, you know, that I yes. see it through different eyes now. And it sounds so simple and, you know, like, well, you should, you know, your work should show you that. But there's just an edge now that, that I have about, you know, what 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 the process is and how, how it is. And I think for you, perhaps with your people, you'll have a better way of telling them, maybe we don't need these machines right now. You know? Right. Yeah. And I, mean, I, yeah, and I you know, because I thought back to, you know, I was around when my grandparents passed, and you would think it'd be similar, but I think it's apparent that somehow just, you know, different, and, and I, and I can speak, and I, I don't want to put words in my dad's mouth or my sister's mouth, but we, there was also a sense of exhaustion. We had done this for so, this yes. kind of roller coaster ride for so long, and, and I don't want to. We were not happy she had passed at all, but there was a sense of relief, like oh my gosh, this this, this never knowing. Like every time the phone rang, I mean, the last ten years it's been like that, right. and. But at the same time, I want the phone to ring, and I want it to be her. You know, so it, it's a very you, – you go through these very kind of – it's kind of transcendental moments of, you know, okay, are, how are we doing as a family? And, and and I would not want to be on that roller coaster again, but I want my mom back. You know, so it, mm-hmm. it, it's, right. there's so many layers of it. And one of the things I'm thankful for, Kari, along with beautiful friendships like yours, is that that – I wasn't scared of death for her, um, and I think that's just my faith face and my mother's faith face. Um, so I didn't have that, <clears throat> which I have seen with some other families. Like, like, what happens after this? Where do they go? You know, those kind of. I didn't have that. We had a, we had a really strong spiritual center, and so that so that wasn't there, um, and and that's different for everybody. But um, yeah, I. And I'm sure that it's going to be different every year. You know, every anniversary of everything has already been strange. And I'm sure that way for your mom, too. Like, I'm sure birthdays and, you know, stuff you all used to do together, you know, as my right. daughter, you know, you right. memorialize. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, there's there's sadness, there's loss, there's grief, and um, there's, the need to, as I, I'm, I'm grateful for the show because there's a need to talk about it. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I really, I think probably once a month I'm going to, I've got another friend uh, who works in, in the, he's a advocate and a geriatric care manager. And, you know, he and I, we talk about this a lot. I don't think you can talk about it enough, what it, what it's like for families or what people go through, especially dealing with the system. Anyway, I just need yeah. to thank you. We're at the end here, and I thank you so much for just being so, to taking the time to do this topic and to being so honest and straightforward and, and loving about your experiences and I, and, and I wish you uh, and you are hope, I hope it's very successful on December 5th. I encourage everyone to go. If not go to their website, is it yourhope.org or is that yes. the website and donate, yes. donate, donate, donate. So thank you very, yeah. much, uh, very, very much. And um, enjoy the rest of your day. Well, thank, thank you. Well, thank you, Hari. And I hope to see you on December 5th. Okay, I look forward to it. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Okay, everyone. Thanks so much. See you soon. Next week, we have uh, Dr. Ron Hirschberg, a wonderful vet. Thank you.